Christ Jesus, dear fellow redeemed. The United States, even the world's economy, isn't doing very well, to say the very least. Significant numbers of people across our nation and around the globe are losing their jobs. The big three automakers seem to be hanging in the balance and may be facing bankruptcy or closure. And some wonder about the solvency of the banks that hold their money. The worst of Chicago-style politics has manifested itself just a few miles across the river in the state of Illinois with the arrest of their governor and allegations of attempting to sell a seat in the United States Senate. Just a little over two weeks ago, Dr. Meyer addressed our community and shared with us the impacts of the economy on our own place and our own lives in the many ways that it will and is affecting us. Into the midst of these seemingly bleak things and numerous others like them comes this text from St. Paul at the end of 1 Thessalonians. And I have to admit that somewhere deep within the recesses of my mind, there's a temptation to take the easy way out with this text. To read just those first couple words about rejoicing. And then to go off and talk about how we could rejoice greatly. Yes, there is that temptation to take that easy way out. But I can't. And I won't. Because if I take these words of Paul and alter them into that easy way out, I'm taking words that really ought to be attacking us as law, neutering them and turning them into warm, fuzzy, sounding gospel language that they aren't. Paul isn't giving the Thessalonians or us a bunch of fluff at the end of his book, to make us feel better about the world that we're in. It isn't really a warm, fuzzy text at all. These are concluding words from Paul of injunction to the Thessalonians, words about the things that they ought to be doing, a long list from Paul to the church in Thessalonica, things that they ought to be carrying out. The text that's before us isn't even the entire list. Part of it has already occurred. Our text picks up partway through this list of things that Paul has for the Thessalonians, beginning with rejoicing greatly, praying continually, and giving thanks in all circumstances, which Paul reminds us is the will of God in Christ. And then he continues, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abandon what is evil. But that comes after what's already been said. Respect those who labor among you and over you and admonish you. Encourage the idle and don't repay evil for evil. So forget about the stuff like the economy for a moment, Blago-gate, or even the challenges of our own situation, because they all begin to pale in comparison to the list of Paul's injunctions and things that perhaps we ought to be having pause of concern about 
to say the very least. If we're honest with ourselves, there isn't one of us here this morning who is not condemned by Paul's list. I know that in many and various ways, I am guilty on all counts. These words are far from fuzzy, gospel-sounding language. They are harsh law that articulates the reasons for our own condemnation. And no doubt, as you reflect on the events of your own life, I can only guess that the same is most likely true in least part for each of you. I doubt very much that any of us rejoices greatly, prays continually, or gives thanks in all circumstances. What's more, as we consider our daily lives, how many of us have always clung to what is good? Have we truly tested these things to determine what really is good, or have we just perhaps gone with what we think sounds good or feels good? How many of us have fully abstained from evil? No doubt each of us can fill in numerous blanks where we have not clung to the good nor abstained from the evil. If we examine ourselves in light of Paul's words to the Thessalonians, the picture is not very appealing. Nevertheless, we need not despair. We need not despair because though each of us has been unfaithful, God in Christ has been faithful to us. God in Christ has been faithful to his promises for our salvation. Christ has fulfilled what we were unable to fulfill according to the will of God. In the very incarnation that we, in the midst of this Advent season, prepare to celebrate just ten days hence, we rejoice that Christ came and dwelt among us. That he entered into our world of sin and failure, and as the hymn we just sang described, thus God, the judge offended, bears all of our sins. God the Father took our evil, the evil that we repaid others for evil, and placed it upon Christ, and Christ clung to it as the cross clung to him. He abandoned himself in order to take our evil that we had not abstained from, in order to suffer the punishment and condemnation that it deserved. In his death, Christ clung not only to our evil, but to the wrath his heavenly Father would pour out upon our evil, but poured out instead upon him that you and I might not ever suffer that wrath. And then he broke the chains of sin and death that bound us and rose victorious, winning victory over death in the grave. 
into those very blessings you and I were baptized. At the font, we were buried with Christ and raised to new life in him. At the font, God claimed us as his children through the infant son of Mary, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And thus we have been made to be blameless in his sight. Our sin removed. Our lack of forgiveness in repaying evil for evil trampled and replaced with words of absolution that assure us that our sin is atoned for and our salvation is assured in Christ. Filled with his body and blood, filled with his word, we stand sure before him as his children. And thus, by his faithfulness, he keeps us blameless until his second advent, when he will once again come and restore all things, all things to their blameless state, restore things to the perfection that he intended, and raise us finally from death and bring us both body and soul into his eternal reign where we will finally rejoice greatly just the way he intended. That's why we're enabled to rejoice even now. Not because the text is warm and fuzzy, but because Christ is mighty and powerful and has accomplished our salvation for us. We are enabled to rejoice, not because we are faithful, but because God is faithful. So by resisting the temptation to focus upon neutered law and warm, fuzzy, gospel-like language, we find that Paul leaves us with the fullness of the gospel the completeness of Christ's work on our behalf. As he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. And so in joy we join in praying, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. To God be the glory, both now and forever. Amen.